Hello, Jeff Johnston here, host of the Living Undeterred podcast, and I have a great guest today. And I'm so excited to get uh, William Stare. It's it's spelled S T O R O E H R, and it's pronounced Stare. So, I have a lot of questions for you. I love what you do. Um, I met you through uh, Deborah. Uh, is it Vish, Vishnik? I'm trying to pronounce her last name. You know what? I always say Vinick, but, uh, Vinick, there you uh, go. Yeah. It's Gonsner Vinick. Yep. Vinick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I told her I had her on a podcast last night we recorded and I'm like, your name is a mouthful for me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I met you through Deborah, and, um, I'm so honored to have met you and I've had a chance to look at your website and some of your artwork and man on your bio, it says your work focuses on victims, witnesses, and survivors of opioid substance use and the stigma, which inhibits prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and recovery. I'm like, I have to talk to this guy. <laughs> this is right <laughs> down my alley. Welcome right. to the show. And uh, I'm really, really excited to have you on the, sh- on the Living on a Turd podcast today. Great. Well, I'm happy to be here. And you're in uh, Colorado, right? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, uh, beautiful God's country, as they say. Um, and uh, we, our tour, we had a stop in Denver uh, at the Free Spiritual Community. And um, every time I've been to Colorado, it is such a... I don't know. There's something about that area. You know, it's, um, authentic, it's genuine, you know, you can see the history, you know, in real time, you know? Um, and I love the area of the country that, that whole Boulder, Denver, Colorado area. So I, I have to assume your, a lot of your inspiration for your artwork comes from, you know, where you live, right? Well, you know, I'm happy where I live and, and I don't know if that, uh, enters into it. But 50 years ago, um, my wife and I, my wife for 52 years, were vacationing in Boulder and we were up above in the foothills. They're called the Flatirons. And we were up there looking down at the city and we said, you know what? Someday we're going to live here. <laughs> hmm. And it took us 10 years, but we got here. And so we like the lifestyle. You know, we, we like the weather. We, we, we like the vibe. We love to ski. And so it just really fits what we do. So and so I guess that makes you... me a happy painter. Oh yeah. So I, uh, I, you know, go ahead. No. Well, so I guess that makes me uh, a happy painter. Um, and I don't know how else to put it, but I'm uh, motivated to paint almost every day. Well, your, your art is, I don't know what word I would use to describe it's, it's, um, has so many words pop into my head. Um, some are descriptive, some are, you know, uh, emotional felt words. Um, how would you describe your painting? You know, I don't. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> you let the, art, I, you let the art do the talking for sure, you. Sure. And, and, you know, in some ways I hate to be put into a category, but you know, yeah. if you're just a look at it on the surface, what is it that I do? I do big seven foot portraits. But it's much more than that. And, and I'm really looking for an emotional response. I'm looking to touch people. I'm looking for people. I'm, my real goal in a painting is to paint something that causes you, the viewer, to create the narrative, to have an emotional response, all based on your own experiences. And you will do a better job completing my painting than I can. So I do mm. things on the canvas that I hope motivate you to do just that. So like actually, frame. And, and I like to say that my paintings are realistic. And, and by that, I mean, it's not like photo real or, you know, doing a photograph that shows a picture where you say, oh, those eyes look real, this nose looks real, but rather I'm doing something that you internalize and you do it with your own feelings and it makes it feel so personal and real to you. I think those that are on the recovery journey and those that have been addicted to drugs and alcohol and, you know, opioids, things like that. They look at your paintings and there's a sense of like suffering in the paintings, but there's also something of optimism. And I I can't Mm -hmm. figure that out yet. Maybe that's the torturous process of the, of the, of the person looking at a painting, having to self-reflect on themselves and figure out what is the artist trying to tell me, if anything, or is it, is it basically the intent is for me to self-assess and say, William is trying to make suffering his effort in this painting or optimism or some of the eyes you have are just empty, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can, you can just really see 
the pain, but not pain as in a negative way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let, let me talk about that because you've really That's pretty hit on deep, something. But... <laughs> no, no, it's right on what I do. And, and so I'm rereading a book that I read 25 years ago and it's by Herman Hess and it's, um, um, Narcissus and Goldmund. And the idea is, is that art, regardless of the art, whether it's music, whether it's a movie, whether it's writing, whether it's a painting like I do, that there's a tension there. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a tension of whether it's black and white, good and evil, happy and sad, depressed, hopeful. And so I strive to put those elements in there. And one of the things I do, and, and I'm always not successful in this, but my most successful paintings have that. And it starts with an ambiguity that causes you to not be real certain what's going on there, but you have a reaction one day. And the next mm-hmm. day you may look at it and have the opposite reaction. And, and I've, I've got a, a well, I, I couldn't ask for a better example, but I had a woman contact me, I don't know, a year or so ago. And she said, I looked at one of your paintings online and um, I knew you captured me exactly. You know how I feel and I want to die. Mm. And she said, the next day I looked at the very same painting and saw hope in the woman's eyes. And she said, I realized then that I too could have hope. You saved my life. That's incredible. Well, it is. And it's, it's two things. One that drives me to paint some more, but secondly, it says that I was on to something when I create the painting. So I do little tricks. So I'll, one side of the face might have one expression and the other side slightly different. And I don't mean like a wiggle picture where it goes happy or sad, but I just mean you look at it this way and you see maybe a little bit of sadness or depression and you look at it the other side and all of a sudden you see not a big broad smile, but you look a see a glimmer of hope. Mm. When you see it together, you don't see that at all. And so the painting is ambiguous. And so you are huh. certain what the painting is projecting. And the next day you look at huh. it and you're, and you're certain of something else. And I'm laughing the because the painting, the painting over your shoulder. Now, yeah. when I put, I put my hand up yeah. <laughs> and I look at both. And I, there wasn't any intention. Cause I think you told me you put that back there for just some ambiguous reason, but yeah. now I can see, I can see if I really intentfully look at like the eye, for example, um, you know, there, there is a little bit of a subtle difference, but I think if I wouldn't have been told that by you, I would have just morphed both sides together and I can see one side looking a little bit more sullen, you know, mm-hmm, right. the other one, a, a little one, a little bit more cautious, maybe, you know, like hesitant, um, right. very powerful stuff. I mean, so I have to ask you, does this come from a personal place of, of, of pain and suffering? Okay, I get asked that all the time. Now, <laughs> I bet you and, do. And uh, uh, pre-COVID, I had a show in London, and um, uh, one of my neuroscientist friends is in London, and he came to the show, and he looked at the pieces, and he said, you know, there's no way you could paint this work without having this deep, deep emotional sense. But I, and I said to him, I don't think I do. I, I just paint. And what does that mean? Okay, so I am a, an incredibly upbeat, happy person, but I'm painting pain and suffering. And I guess I see that as that's two sides of the human condition that we have to deal with. And mm-hmm. I, I think I can deal with the suffering side, but my sister dying or, or, or overdosing and dying. At the same time, I can maybe work with that better if on the other side of me is this happy, upbeat, hopeful person. And Mm -hmm. so when I paint, I don't paint a picture to say, I'm going to paint a person that's really, really depressed, but rather I just paint and I don't even think about it. I think about it more after I'm done evaluating the work. Now, that doesn't mean I don't go and tweak it a little bit. And I already talked to you about creating this ambiguous face with two sides, two conflicting sides on it Mm -hmm. to create that tension and that ambiguity and that mystery about the painting that keeps you coming back and looking at it. Uh, but when I'm painting it, I, I'm, I'm actually not thinking about that other than I'm not thinking about sadness. I'm thinking about 
you know, the, the form of the painting, how it's, what form it's going to take and, and how I physically paint it. And I pretty much get lost in it when I'm painting. I, I think it's more a meditation. I don't mm. think of anything else when I'm painting. I just pull out my tools and I work away. How long does it take you to do a painting like the one over your shoulder? Okay, that's the second question that people always ask me. <laughs> I'm going to ask you all the stereotypical questions today. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all over the place. So the one right behind you went fast. And I'm going to say it might have taken me uh, a, a week of maybe painting four or five hours a day. I've got other paintings that that are done in just a few hours. And then I'll have mm. some that I'll work on for years. And And part of it is, I don't believe a painting of mine is ever finished. So, you know, yeah. when you paint, I, I'm not painting from a photo or from a model in front of me. I'm painting from some image in my head. Now, that doesn't mean that person mm -hmm. or that image isn't in front of me, but I'm painting for some, with something in my head. And that keeps mm -hmm. changing. And I can never do as well as the image in my head. So I'll paint something and I'll think about it a while. I go, oh, no, 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 no. I got to redo this. I got I to gotta either spill paint all over it and start over, or I have to modify it in this way, which I've just seen based on this image in my head. So the painting's never done. So what, what I tell people, if you buy one of my paintings and you hang it up in your house and I come knocking at your door and you see me with a paintbrush in my hand, don't let me in. <laughs> Just that, you know, who knows what I might do. So, yeah. How, how do you incorporate, I understand pain and suffering. I would mm -hmm. think if you're a really talented artist, it's not too difficult to, but how do you do specifically say addiction, opioid, overdose, alcoholism? How, how do you incorporate that type of pain and suffering versus pain and suffering maybe of losing a child to drowning or something, you know? Sure. Right. Is, well, is, and, and is that something that's possible? Uh, well, when I first, okay. So I, as I'm thinking about my painting and I'm thinking, and, and this is, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago or more, and 50, say 15 years ago. And I'm thinking, well, what good is my painting? What is it accomplishing? Um, I, I was, we, um, my wife and I were living in the Caribbean at the time. So we were in the Virgin Islands and I was painting pieces that were very colorful and dancing women mm. and uh, they yeah, sold sure. very well. And I looked at it one day and I said, what is this? You know, what am I accomplishing? And, and, and if I can't paint something that says something about life, or the human well, the human condition, then why am I even painting? And, and so I started to think about this and I thought, all right, so I'll start painting um, victims of war. And so, uh, or I'll start painting um, uh, people that are depressed or um, uh, women that are um, uh, in, in, in some way uh, abused. And, and and so I, I started putting little symbols in my paintings that might lead a person in that direction. Mm. And, um, and after a while, I said, I don't know anything about that. How can I, in my heart, paint about uh, sexual abuse? Or mm -hmm. how, how can I paint about the death of a child or mm -hmm. war? Then I started to imagine these scenarios of uh, a mother in uh, Somalia watching her... Uh, son getting his arms chopped off because he read a book well that was depressing me and it was horrible and i was painting a lie i i didn't know anything about it so then i thought well what do i know about i know something about addiction and my experience with my sister but then i thought well what is it that i really know about that well i know what it's like to be a witness to it mm -hmm. and so i said i'm going to paint as a witness to this. So there's victims, mm -hmm. witnesses, and survivors, and I'm a witness. I saw this happen. I tried very unsuccessfully to help. I, mm -hmm. In the final analysis, it was unsuccessful because she died. And, right, yeah. uh, but that's what I could do. And I could feel that. So then when I started uh, putting my shows on, it's, it's a little bit leading. I, I like to tell people, you know, my paintings are contextless. You know, there's nothing in the background of the painting. Uh, the, the title is nothing but the person's name <clears throat> and then with a number. So if it's uh, Emma six, that's the sixth painting I did of Emma. And Emma oh, gotcha. is and Emma is the code word that I use for my sister. That's not her real name. And, and gotcha. uh, because I, I just couldn't name the paintings that at first. And so now I've continued it. 
And so Emma has been kind of a stand-in for anyone that's been a victim, witness, or a survivor. Hmm. And so um, all of a sudden when I started titling the show, so the last three shows I've had are titled um, Stigma and Survival. All of a sudden, that's a cue for people that I'm talking about something that relates to stigma. And then when they walk into the show and they see some literature that deals with uh, opioid use, well, then suddenly they can zero in on that. And if I get some hmm. pre-show publicity, they're talking about that. You know, I, I lead that, that discussion with them, uh, with whoever is interviewing me, so that they make sure to, to say that that's what this is about. So people come in with a preconceived idea. They walk up to a painting and many start crying. And um, the, the thing that I hear most often is, you've captured exactly how I feel. Or the second thing that they say is, um, you've recognized me, thank you. I'm not alone. And so suddenly this has real meaning in terms of a victim, witness, or a survivor, that they're not alone. And, and then the overall goal is normalizing the discussion so that people actually have these discussions. So they come up to me afterwards and talk, or they, they join up with someone else there and they start talking, or they stick around for the uh, panel discussion with uh, uh, medical professionals, or, you know, and it goes on and on and on, or they pick up some of the literature, or they get a phone number that's on the back of a poster that I've done for the show. Yeah, you're cracking open that door of vulnerability, which Johan Harry says, and I'm sure you know the answer to this, the opposite of addictions, connection. Um, it seems to be overused phrase today, but uh, I know when I did my tour this summer, if there was one word that kept coming up was vulnerability. It's like whenever I shared my story first, so you and I meet for coffee, we don't know each other at all. Yep. And you say, you know, I say, what do you do? You say, I'm an artist. And you say, what do you do? What do you do, Jeff? I have an opportunity now to carefully tell you what I do without immediately saying, oh, my son died. I'm a mental health advocate. That's going to turn off a lot of people. That, that, that's, what sure. we call, that's what we call raising awareness. Bringing attention to is the ability to lure people into your story. And that's what a painting does. You're not raising awareness for any of these issues, in my opinion. You're bringing attention to these issues. And I think for me as an advocate, I think the raising awareness ship has sailed. I think that's a dead horse, as I like to say. It's not working. If it was working, the numbers would be getting better. I think we need to, as advocates, bring attention to these issues in subtle ways. And I think art is one, music is another. Um, you know, and I think things like podcasts, things like um, the presentations we try to do are really intentionally designed to not be in your face. And I go back to your paintings and, you know, I, I haven't been through your whole portfolio gallery and I'm a little hesitant because I just have this fear. I'm going to see either my son or my wife in one of your pictures. Yeah. And I don't know why that has me hesitant, William, but I think when we're done today, I'm going to go through your website picture by picture. And I would be shocked if there's not a painting that looks like my wife towards the end of her life. The, 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 I don't know. There's so many words that come to mind, just, um, hopelessness, fear, anger, you know, shame, obviously an alcohol problem creates a lot of shame and doubt in yourself and, your paintings, uh, you know, again, I'm, you do just faces, right? Yes. That's all yeah. you do. So yeah. I have it, to think in your gallery, there's going to be, there's going to be a painting that's going to hit home for me. I know it. Um, and, and that's probably what you want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I hear that also and people will contact me and they'll say, um, you did a painting that reminds me of my daughter who OD'd last year. You yeah, know? I bet. And and they'll be crying on the phone and suddenly I'm yeah. crying on the phone. And yeah. because we because we have it on the speakerphone in our car, my wife is crying in the car. And so <laughs> everyone around you is crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 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 guess what? That 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 is cathartic, isn't it? And oh, absolutely. Uh, in so many ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so I'm looking at your self portraits. Let's talk about yeah. that for a second. Sure. You know, wow. I got six, I got nine of them up here in front of me, and it's like 
what a range, what a complex human you must be. If these are self portraits, they're, mm-hmm. they're all pulled. They all pull something from me differently. Um, is there a specific self portrait that you feel most aligned to? Well, of course it depends on, on how you're feeling that day. Um, you know, the, the one behind me here, I just finished. And I um, see that one. That's a, that's on the top left of your website. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And I like that. And why, why have I decided I like that? First of all, I can't put my finger on it, but artistically as an artist, I like it, but that's not the most important thing to me. You know, the most important thing is how do I respond to it? How does it make me feel? And some of my self portraits are kind of scary. I don't know if you got the red one up there, the big red. Yeah, face. I do. Yeah. Right I know. Middle. And what does that say? You know, what's, what's, what's in my head? What does that, that say, William? <laughs> what, what does that say? I, I don't know, but that self-portrait is not a very calming self-portrait, you know. And now, were you um, in a pretty dark place when you painted that? You know, I don't remember. I truly don't. But as I look at it now, now the other interesting thing is that's probably my first self-portrait that I ever sold. It's it sold uh, to a um, well-known rap singer. And, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. And so what did he see in that? You know, that's a, that is a, Maybe he uh, saw himself, <clears throat> maybe he saw himself, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but see, I, let's, what, go ahead. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry. You go ahead. Well, you got five of the nine have the hand over the mouth or actually yeah. six do. What's the symbolism there? Okay. Now this is really going to sound mundane, but I started painting hands. Okay. So I'm painting faces and I'm going, Okay, I want to stick with the faces. And the reason I want to stick with the faces is I haven't gotten it right yet. I haven't painted the Mm -hmm. perfect painting that's in my head, my perfect mental image. So that's my personal masterpiece, and I've never done it. So I'm going, all right, what else can I do to these, to this face that adds another component, artistic component, um, that is emotional, that shows emotion? Well, it's a hand. And and so... um, Certainly, here's the other thing for me as an artist, hands are hard to draw. And so so I'm drawing a hand, so I'm purposely making this a little more difficult piece right. for me to do. But a hand on the face is, you know, when, when we're stressed, don't people put their hands up to their face? Or if they're thinking, oh, yeah. they put their hands to their face. <laughs> yep. And so there's so many emotions that can come from the hand to the face. And so that's what I did. And so guess who am I? I'm a witness. I'm observing. You know, I have my hand to my face. I'm evaluating what's gone on in my life ahead of me that where I I didn't succeed, you know. Um so I take from that is it possible and I know the person looking at a painting there is no right or wrong way to to judge like what you think is the intent behind this, but could it be taken that the hand symbolizes you say the witness of some horrific event, like you're witnessing uh, your, your, your sister pass away or you're w- w- witnessing your wife drink th- herself to death. And so you're horrific, your hands up here, like you're witnessing it. Um, or is it more of, of a, of a statement of your insecurities, your, in, you know, something that's internalized or is it, is it, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking, I think I could argue both sides of the fence there. Sure. And guess what? That's what you're supposed to do. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there is no definitive answer to that. And you've come up with two answers. But but let me comment about that watching something horrific. Because um, when I first, you know what I mentioned that I was trying to figure out, you know, how, how, how can I draw about war or something horrific? So I tried right. to put myself in the face, the place of a mother witnessing this horrific thing happening to her son in front of her. Mm. And I, that might be the first painting where I put the hands up on the face. And that there was no doubt she was witness, witnessing uh, a horror. And, and, mm. and her response was putting her hands over her face. And, and mm. so I guess I've kind of carried that through. So I have, I have no background in art. I know the names mm-hmm. of the famous painters. Sure. But Picasso. Mm-hmm. That that that's one that comes to mind when I, when I look at things like this and then coincidentally I read your bio and that's the one painter that you would like to paint with some, you know, would have liked to have painted with. Yeah. Right. 
Why is well, it? What, 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 what catches you? What, what's, what's Picasso got that the others don't, in your opinion? Okay. Well, first of all, one of my draws to Picasso is the painting Guernica. And if you, if you don't know that painting, look it up. I'm sure I recognize it. Okay. And so Guernica is the painting that he did in response to the bombing of Guernica. I think it was in 1939, maybe. <clears throat> and here's this... Um, uh, city in Spain that um, the Nazis, the uh, Italians and uh, the Germans bombed. And this was before the outbreak of World War II. And, you know, they, they were testing out their equipment. So they bombed mm. this city into oblivion. So for the uh, World's Fair, for uh, the pavilion, uh, Picasso was asked to paint a painting, and so he painted Guernica. Guernica's got it all. It's Cubist, and I'll get back to why Cubism interests me. But mm -hmm. he's got this um, uh, woman screaming out of you know, the flames in her room. There's a Pieta, a woman holding her dead child. There's mm -hmm. the uh, wounded soldier. There's the bull. There's And then he's got all kinds of symbols in there. He's got this uh, light um, that's shining. Uh, it's a light bulb. And, and he's got all these things in the painting. And I was so moved by that painting the first time I saw it. So we went to Madrid specifically to see that painting, my wife and I. Now we wow. went to Spain for a bunch of things. But that was number yeah. one on my list to see Guernica. So I stood outside the room. I couldn't go in. I mean, I, I, and I can't say I was frightened or what it was, but I could not enter that room. Okay, so as I remember, it was alone in the room. It was only painting in the room. And I walked in there, and they had little pre-painting exhibits, wow. you know, to, to show drawings and things that he had done. So I walked in the room, and I just broke down crying. It was, mm. I, I was just, I'm, I wasn't, I don't know what the, the, the word is. I was in awe. I understood yep. what he was doing. He made me feel it. So I walked into that room. I can honestly tell you, that I could feel those flames on my skin, frying my skin. I could smell the smoke. I could hear the people screaming. And it was like, I have never mm. had that experience. And so I said to myself, how did Picasso wow. do that? He caused me to have a reaction in front of a piece of art that I have never had in my life. And so that was my goal to say, how can I do that? And so you know, I'm studying Cubism, I'm studying, uh, you know, Picasso, what he was trying to do. And he had all kinds of little tricks in there. So if you look at the painting, it's black and white. And then he's got these little hash marks all through it. He's trying to make it look like a newspaper in a way. And so he's saying, this mm. is in the news right now. This is important. And then he's got this mixture of these three-dimensional with Cubist um, figures yeah. in there. And, you know, he's, he's causing all this tension and and all these things that he knew how to do. And so as I dug into what the Cubists were doing, and um, Picasso was notorious, well, he was both glib and yeah, he, he said, he, you know, you couldn't tell if he was telling the truth or not. But, but he his was a complex friend, character, right? He was, he was complex, yes. But what the Cubists were saying is that they were tr striving for a greater reality a reality of your making. And that's how I started off this podcast with you about, you know, a good painting mm. is one where you complete the image. Well, that's what he was trying to do. So they tried to, they, they did all kinds of tricks. So, you know, they, they pasted little pieces of newspaper or wine labels into their paintings to, to make you mm. feel, you know, something. They, they were experimenting. They were truly experimenting. And so anyhow, that was my goal to make you respond to the painting in a way that made it feel real. Now, that's a real key thing. Real. How do I make it feel real? Well, one thing in making it feel real is you got to think about how we actually think. And the Cubists knew this. They, they had to, to be going in this direction. But neuroscientists will say today that the way we look at something is we just see a very pixelated image. It might be a little different than that, but we see a, a vague outline and lines and, and, and we take that. That's what comes into our eyes. And then our brain gets a hold of that and creates the image based on our experiences. So mm -hmm. I look at you and, 
And, uh, you know, my eyes are seeing a pixelated image, but my brain is saying, I know what you look like. I've seen you before. Mm -hmm. I recognize your voice. That's another cue. And so I put you together. The other thing they did is they said, we put together images over time. And so your image is not locked into me, right? So if I were to take a photo of you, it's locked in. But when I'm actually relating to you and my brain is interpreting you, I'm I'm moving my head around, you're moving around in your seat. And so I'm seeing different sides of you. Isn't that exactly what the cubists did? So they were attempting to put in images over time in their image. So the eye might be over here as if you were to turn over to it. And so, so I look at that and I say, they're trying to create time. So if they create time, doesn't that make the whole experience seem more real? So I do that as well. Now, I don't do it on every image, but I can tell you this, that every one of my images has something out of whack. So the eye might be in not way over here, but sometimes I do do that, but sometimes it's just yeah. slightly out of whack. So I don't want you to look at it as if it's more of a cartoon drawing. And I, I don't say that right. negatively, but you know what I mean. Right. But rather, yeah. you, you maybe don't even notice that, but I've given you some ears maybe slightly lower than they're supposed to be or a mouth a little bit over more to the side not lining up with the nose and so i'm creating hopefully a sense of time so this sense of time the the way your brain actually interprets images i hope all this creates a reality which you then complete with the narrative you say oh the narrative this is how i feel about this painting this is how it makes me feel i feel depressed right now i'm looking at this painting he has captured how i feel your feelings, my creating time has all hopefully created a greater reality. So that's what I'm trying to do. That's what Picasso taught me. And for you, I have to think this is even more difficult because you're limiting your paintings to faces. And so, you know, Picasso can add bowls and suns and different things in, but if you're committed to faces, you know, how do you get faces to be, if you do a hundred paintings of faces, I mean, you know, you only have two eyes to work with. It's like, yeah. how, how do you, how do you make them so uniquely different, William? Yep. It's just staggering yep. how you do that. Yeah. And, and that's a goal of mine. And so let me tell you why I stick with faces. I mentioned yeah. earlier, I, I haven't gotten it right yet. Okay. So I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. The other thing is, is that it turns out that a single face has more impact on people than say a body or a group of faces. I so, agree. And so one, so one image of a young boy, a Turkish boy on the shore drowned has a great impact on people because it's only one person. But then you go to the face and there's nothing else to distract you from the face other than I put a hand up there. And so it is the easiest, quickest way for me to get inside your head is to put a face up there. And the way I make them differently, and, and you know, I, I paint every face in the exact same position. Almost. I put the eyes, the same mm-hmm. relative dimensions in the same place mm-hmm. on the canvas, regardless of the canvas, I'm, the size, although most of them are now seven feet. So, you know, the eyes are, I, I can put a ruler up there and tell you that the eyes are 22 inches from the top of the canvas, you know? And so I do that so that they align, they work well together in a show. So one mm-hmm. painting and then the painting next to it and then the painting next to it create a gang of people. <laughs> and so uh-huh. you, you can, you can look and I space them far enough apart. So you can look at one and just reflect on that, but you can look at the wall and say, you know, th- this, this artist has said that the gallery wall is his canvas and he's created this gang of people, but here's how I make it different. If you look at my paintings and if you just look at my self portraits, each one is painted differently in a different yeah, style. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that's what I do. So I say, and, and I, I challenge myself. I'll say, um, so right now I have a book out, Alberto Giacometti. So I, mm. I really love his paintings and drawings. And so I'm looking at what he's doing and I'm saying, oh man, I think I'm gonna to try to incorporate some of his style into what I'm doing. Um, you know, or I'll say Jackson Pollock, uh, how can I incorporate dripping and you know what? Almost all of my paintings have dripping on them and splashes. And so I've mm. always, you know, used Jackson Pollock as an inspiration. Now, Jackson Pollock, um, yeah, I mean, he did figurative work, but he's not yeah. as famous for that. But um, 
you know, his mature work that we all know, I say, well, how, how can I create a face using that same technique? And, uh, you know, that, that, that's what I do. Um, I, when, when I'm in a rut, I'll pick an artist and I'll say, how would this artist, who, artist who, does, who never draws faces, I'll say, how would hmm. he paint a face? And, and so I'll play with that to keep myself motivated from an artistic standpoint. I have to ask you, because you, you just said that and I was going to ask you this follow-up question, but okay. I don't, if you saw my artwork, you would, um, you'd probably never speak to me again. I'm, I can't make a snowman. <laughs> I'm that bad. You know, I know what I'm good at and I'm not good at drawing. Okay. I, when I started my book, you have to sit down, you have to start writing a book. Sometimes you start at the ending. Sometimes you start a book at just your most favorite chapter. You just start writing and then you kind of fill in the gaps. How, how do you start on a blank canvas? Yeah. How do you, that painting behind you, the first brush, where did you start? Yeah. Um, I don't always do it this way, but more often than not, I do. Um, so for instance, I have a blank canvas behind me and it's blocking the sun coming out of a window back there right now for this, <laughs> for this uh, broadcast. But um, I, the first thing I'll do is I'll locate the eyes on the canvas. Remember I said I, I always put the eyes in the same place. So I'll put a couple X's where I want. I'll, I get out a ruler, a yardstick, and I go 22 inches. I come in, let's say 24 inches. This eye is so many inches over. And I want the nose to be maybe 16 inches below that. So I'll draw a triangle for the nose. See how that nose is kind of shaped like a triangle? Yeah. So I'll, yep. if, if, I, if the person is looking up like she is, uh, which is kind of a, you know, that's yep. a strong statement when your head is up and your chin is out. Yep. And then I'll, I'll put another line where I want the mouth to be. And then I'll start pouring the paint. Sometimes I'll take a big a brush and I use big brushes here. I'll grab a big brush. Have you ever thought of doing a time-lapse, like set up a camera and actually draw, do one of your paintings, like on a time-lapse? Okay. I do something that would be, that would be first, cool. First, I have thought of that. But what I do do is during the process, I take pictures of where the painting is at. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and then, um, uh, and, and let me tell you how I start this. Then let, let me get back to that process photo that I take. Yeah. So I, I'll take this and I'll dip it in some black paint and I'll, Put a mark where I want a, a bigger mark where I want the eyes rather than just my little pencil mark. And then I'll draw in a mark where I, I want the two nostrils because they're black. And then I'll just draw a black line across where I want the lips to be. Then I start pouring paint on it. And that's what I do with, oh, well over half my paintings. I start pouring paint. So I take some acrylic paint and I water it down and I have it in a little um, cup. Mm -hmm. and, I, and sometimes I'll have it in a little bucket <clears throat> and I pour it on there and the, the painting is flat at that point. So my easels, I have two easels that turn into tables. So I've got mm. the seven foot painting here and I just, you know, turn a knob in the back and I can flatten it out like a big table. I used to do mm -hmm. these on my, on the floor, but it hurt my back after a while. Yeah. So, yeah. so now I just do it on this table. So I got the table at about waist height and the painting runs and I let it run. And hmm. some, you know, a lot of it will run just on the floor. And if I want to stop it, I put paper towels on it. So one of my favorite tools is bounty paper towels and bounty because I like the little triangles that are on it. Because if I blot out some paint that's running on that canvas, it leaves this great little, little image on there. And so I use it. I learn how to, how to go with that little Interesting. image. So I'll let that paint. Now I'm using acrylic paint, so they dry really fast. And so it'll dry, say, in 10 minutes. Then I'll put a coat of, um, typically, I'll put a coat of um, acrylic polymer varnish over it. And, and that dries fast. I put another coat of this paint down and then another coat and then another coat. And I'll be using different colors. And then I'll take my brush and I'll splatter some paint on it. And then I'd I'll... love to see, I'd love to see this live. That sounds so <laughs> damn in there, interesting. Well, it's fun too. And, and yeah. then, uh, so then all of a sudden, I start to get an image on there that I work with. So one of the things you'll see in a lot of my paintings is what's happening on the forehead or on the cheeks. And those are the big areas of your face. It mm -hmm. has nothing to do with how a real face is. And so I treat those as separate abstracts. So long ago when I started working on a big canvas, mm. I said, okay, I, I do the eyes. I can do eyes halfway decent and I can make a nose and I can do lips. But what on earth do I do with the cheeks and the, and the foreheads? So you look mm -hmm. at my paintings, there's, you can look at them as separate abstract paintings. And that's how I think of them. Can I make that interesting? 
So there's another key to what I'm doing. So people will come back to the painting and they'll say, I didn't realize he did that. I wonder how the artist did that with the paint. How did he make the paint do that? How did he make it swirl when with these two colors? Or how did he get that really interesting pattern on there with the paper towels, of course? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so they think about that. And when they go back to the painting, what happens? They think about the painting itself again. And so one of the things you want to do with the painting is have, it, it, it's, it's got to capture people, both the painting itself, so that they're interested in looking at it in detail. And they'll see one painting close up. They'll see another painting when they back away because of all these little right. things I've done. And so it's never ending interest I want to happen. And then I use um, metallic paints and they change with the lighting. So that gold oh. paint self-portrait behind you looks yep. entirely different if I change the lighting. And of course, paintings always change with lighting. But with these shiny golds and silvers and bronzes that I use, they change even more. So what I've learned is I can actually, remember before I was talking about two sides of the face, you know? Yeah. Well, the yeah. other thing I can do is I can paint a with a, a pearl paint that when it's lit, shines brightly. Mm. And so the highlights on the face will change. And so if the lighting mm. changes, it could be the angle of the lighting or the time of day, it'll actually change the expression on the painting. So again, I'm working with you to say, I'm wow. going to make this. And not only it's interesting to you to come up and look closely at how I did it, but also I'm going to be changing the expression all the time by the side of the face, which side you're, how you feel this morning when you look at it. And then as, as the light changes, I'll be changing it ever so slightly. And it's not dramatic, but it's enough for you to shift your mood and to have a new narrative for the painting. The last painting I bought an original at a, at a nonprofit, uh, I actually bought it off their wall because I loved it, uh, is from an artist who did upside down and then flipped it over. Yep. Have you seen those? Well, I know a, a lot of abstract paintings, uh, painters. That's amazing that. how they do that. I just don't uh-huh. understand. And obviously it's something they've practiced many times, but to do that just shows the talents of a there's so many different ways to do things and and to have your brain be able to draw something upside down then flip it over and you have no idea what they're drawing when they're doing it but then when they're done they flip it over and you're like wow i don't know know. it's uh i'm fascinated by what artists can do My, my brother is a professional guitarist now it's an art form uh, mm-hmm. watching him play guitar. He plays for one of the largest um, Elton John tribute bands in the United States. Uh, they, they called, uh, they're called Dogs of Society. And when I watch my brother play lead guitar, it's like watching a great artist paint a canvas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just they, they just are one with the guitar. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks effortless. It's like watching Tiger Woods golf or Michael Jordan play basketball. It's like, it doesn't look like they putting a lot into it, but you don't see the hours of just practice that went into that and the perfecting the artwork and you right. watch a really good musician and it's no different than if I were to watch you paint, I, I bet you'd have the same relationship with the canvas as my brother does with the guitar. Mm-hmm. That's probably true. You know, and, and like I said earlier, I just am immersed in it, you know, and, and I just do yeah. it. And, uh, and, and I'm really, I mean, I've just told you a lot of things I think about, but I really don't think a lot about, I mean, so much of this stuff is natural now, you know, I just automatically automatically know what paints, if I mix them together and I pour. How many years have you been doing this? How many years you've been doing this like professionally now? Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a little life story here. So when I was, (laughs) when when I, when I was a kid in high school, I I wanted to be an artist. That was my goal. And in 1962, I was a freshman in high school and my art teacher introduced me to Jackson Pollock and Willem de Kooning and Franz Klein. I wanted Mm. to be an abstract expressionist. And so when I went to um, my high school counselor with my parents, who were going to talk about future education, they, they said, Oh, you want to be an artist? Well, you should go down to the local newspaper. It was called the Burlington standard press the town had maybe 5,000 people and it was the weekly newspaper and sit down with their artist. And what this guy did is he made little drawings for uh, like the car dealership or for uh, the local dress shop. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking Willem de Kooning and they're thinking Elsie's dress shop ads. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so then what happened? You have, to start started, somewhere. you have to start somewhere, William. 
I know, I know. And it turns out so many artists have done that. But, uh, <laughs> and so I'm um, thinking, wow, that's not going to work. And so I started looking into art schools and we couldn't afford me going to art yeah. school. And, and we didn't have, okay, I was the first kid in the whole extended family that had even been thinking about college. And so we didn't have the knowledge, uh, experience to be able to see, well, where could I go to where I could still go for art? And right. then, um, uh, you know, I, I ended up going to a small state school, which was probably the best move of my life uh, in, mm -hmm. in terms of what I learned to do there. And I got involved in all kinds of things I never would have done at another school. Tuition was $150 a semester. And oh, I did not, and I didn't do art. I became an industrial engineer. And so then my career progressed. I didn't paint. I didn't paint for 40 years. And, and if wow. I drew something, it might be with our son. I'd help him draw a rabbit or a bird or something. And uh, I, I, over that 40 years, early on, I did a couple of paintings because we had a blank space on our wall. And I did some big abstract mm -hmm. paintings, you know, and, and they were colorful. And I just put them up on the wall. And that was great. And I wish I had them now. So um, then uh, when I was working for National Geographic, I decided at 55, golly, I'm... I, I could retire and start another career. What would I like to do? And I said, mm -hmm. I'm going to write a book. Everyone's telling me I should write a book. So I, uh, I, and I was thinking about this when you were talking about a book. So I said, I'm going to write a book. <clears throat> what should I write about? <clears throat> well, it turns out as part of National Geographic and also my work before that, I gave a lot of talks. I gave uh, uh, promotional talks. I talked about with National Geographic. I gave talks about the environment, uh, right. water and a whole range of things. And so I, I, would um uh did a lot of international talks but i always worked alice in wonderland into all of my talks <clears throat> and so mm -hmm. so okay so I'm, I'm giving maybe to a business group when i want to talk about um uh, strategic planning so i would say what was the first thing that the um uh, caterpillar said to alice when he met her who are you and i'd say and what is the first thing that the, the cheshire cat said to alice when she approached him, where do you want to go? Who are you and where do you want to go? And so then I, then after a while, people loved that, you know, and then I started oh, I doing, and I, then I, I became, everyone started sending me books as gifts of Alice in Wonderland. And so I have pulled so much out of there, which I won't go into now out of that. And I had all this great stuff. And so people were saying, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. So I said, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna write this book. And then after I get the book done, then maybe I'll paint. So I, um, <laughs> I started the book, quickly ran out of material. And the other mm -hmm. thing I learned about was that, you know, when I'm talking, no one's fact checking me. <laughs> mm. And I can say funny things and I can get the audience going. When, when I'm writing a book, book it's different. I'm, I'm laying it down there. And, yeah. you know, I've got and I've got to be working on my grammar and all this. And I said, so after about 100 pages, I was done. So then I go, OK, so I've quit my job. I'm not sure. Am I going to have the same experience as an artist? Well, anyhow, so in 2004, I started painting. So I, that's how many years I've been an artist. And I am self-taught. And I started painting little painting, well, two-foot paintings that were popular down in the Virgin Islands. Uh, the tourists would buy them. And that's when I had my uh, epiphany. And I said, you know what? You have got to do something worthwhile with your art. And suddenly it came to me. And um, it... Uh, you know, I haven't looked back. And so I suspect my artistic ability came to the forefront and um, it's, it's been great. And, and I'm continually learning. How many studios do you have? Uh, you mean that I work in? Yeah. Like or that, or that's some... galleries, okay. I guess. Different oh, galleries. galleries. Um, well, that's been uh, changing over time. And, and particularly since I have, I'm not emphasizing the galleries as much anymore because a gallery is commercial. And if I want to show in a gallery, I have to have work that they can commercially sell. Otherwise they're not right. going to have a place for me to sell. But right. I have two galleries in particular that show my work, uh, interpret it well that, um, uh, and one, one is in uh, Denver, it's called space gallery. And the other is in Atlanta called the Bill Lowe gallery. And they're both big, good galleries that do a great job of showing my stuff and they aren't afraid of what I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to, and then I'm able to garner the publicity that I want 
for these shows that people can, um, can, can, can come for the art in the message. But then I show, you know, I, I've shown at multiple universities. Uh, uh, a few years ago, I had a show in London at an art center. Um, I show at um, small museums and uh, art centers really around the world. And so, hmm. um, you know, that changes, you know, once you show at an art center, you know, they, they, tend, they tend to have a show of your work. Well, then I'm not going to show again for maybe 10 years in that location. So mm -hmm. it's not like I have a steady stream. Well, I also have a gallery in, uh, funny, in Kuwait. And uh, they've actually mm. been a good gallery for me. And so that's interesting. And, you know, they put some of these tough pieces in there. And I go, you guys, you go. Yeah. So, yeah. So Inter and, and that's then I put, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I interrupted you. Sorry. Oh, no. And, and what I was going to say was not important, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I, um, I'm very intrigued. I, I'm going to go back and look at your website. I think for people that follow me, um, people that, uh, subscribe to the living undeterred mindset that we're trying to show here the last two years, art is a great coping mechanism. Uh, I have it all around my house. I have all different types of artwork. Um, I have some that just are like, I'm into heavy metal music. So I have some posters mm -hmm. of back in the eighties, you know, my favorite metal bands. I have, um, <laughs> things I've put together from shows. Like one of my favorite guys over here, I've, I did a meet and greet. So they gave me an autographed poster. Well, I took guitar picks. I took some other things. I kind of went, I made a little cutout thing. I went to a local, a place here and they put a neat frame, pretty a medieval looking frame. So I have this very unique piece of art that I kind of made myself from pieces of a concert I went to that I can always remember now. So a yeah. lot of my artwork is, is like collages I put together myself that I take into this place and cause I can't draw. So it's like, I just, I just throw together cool things and kind of, and then they make my own frame. And so, yeah, I, I just, um, I think art is a really neat and, and your angle with the mental health and the addiction, substance use, distress puts you in a very unique position because I don't think a lot of artists focus on these issues. They they have artwork that, you know, denotes suffering or pain or sorrow, but not specifically the opioid addiction. Oh, you know, Focus. abuse, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. And that I has to, I have to think that puts you in really rare company. I mean, there's not a lot of artists out there that are focusing on that and maybe the but, stigma associated with it. I don't know, but you know, I'm finding, and, and you know, when I first started doing this, I said, one of my goals is to get other artists involved. And by that, I mean, mm. writers and playwrights and movie makers and musicians. And if you just look out there, uh, the, um, uh, luminaires, one of their last albums was all about alcoholism and addiction. Now yeah. that's pretty gutsy for someone of yeah. that fame to put that out there. Um, and the movies, the books, um, yeah. dope sick, you know, things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's coming forward now that the arts are coming forward and that's all part of normalizing the discussion. That, I mean, that's what happened with AIDS, didn't it? And so all of a sudden, all that of those point. people that I mentioned came to the fore, started plays and art and songs and and you name it and it started to normalize that discussion so that people felt comfortable with it and um and so that's my hope that other people get involved and i keep seeing it more and more and they keep coming forward to me and you mm -hmm. know th th in terms of art uh painting so dr nora volkoff the director of nida is, is an artist and and she talks about art and empathy and how important it is to create an empathy with the art so that then people can reflect upon it, can say, you know, you've, you, you, you've recognized me. I'm not alone. You know exactly how I feel. And, and so she speaks to that, to the empathy of, of wow. uh, that, that can be, um, that, that can happen as a result of art. And so, you know, that's obviously on my mind. You know, someone could look at, art like you, what you do and they could say well that's too dark for me or that's mm -hmm. that, that that's just that that's kind of scary dark artwork and and you know i'm sure you could look at any 
subjective piece of art and, and make those assessments. But I think for me, when I look at it, like the specifically one over your shoulder, is it, it's telling me it's okay to feel that way. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like allowing me, cause the art can't really talk to me. Like you and I are talking. And so you make me feel comfortable. I could cry in front of you. I, I feel perfectly comfortable doing that. Looking at a painting, even though there's no audio, it, it does take that visual feeling. It makes me feel it's okay. It's okay for me to look off in the distance and feel lost or, and I can relate to that like another human. And I think, um, that connection, that, that aspect of vulnerability is therapeutic. It's cathartic, as you said. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and that's what I think. And I'm not going to tell someone, don't look at that painting and think it's dark because you have to think you have to make your own judgment. When you look at a painting, right. you, I can't tell you, mm -hmm. William, how to look at something and how to interpret it. You have to just do it yourself. But I think if more people had a little bit of a different lens to view art like you are making from a perspective of openness and vulnerability, I think they could really appreciate this um, a lot more. Yeah. You know, there's decorative art and, you know, I mean, there's beautiful decorative things and, and I like that. And I have friends that make gorgeous decorative art. And then there's art that makes a statement and yeah. tells you something about life. And that's, for me, that's more important. And, and so that's what I'm trying to do. Well, you've impacted me and I know my audience and my followers, um, we're going to put a link to your site and I'm, I'm planning on having some of your paintings come up when we talk about, uh, talk about, um, you on this podcast when it posts, but I want to thank you very much for being on the living unanswered podcast. You really introduced me to another, uh, arrow I can add to my quiver, um, a tool to my yeah. tool chest that, that I'm fighting what I fight, you know, my, mm -hmm. my bouts of grief and suffering, you know, your, your artwork gives me comfort to know that it's okay. You know, it, it allows me, it gives me permission to go through what I have to do, you know? Um, and, um, I applaud what you're doing, um, to bring, bring attention to addiction, substance use, distress, mental health. Um, all this is, is, um, I don't know. It's been great to have you on the show and certainly, I've never had a show like this in my two years of doing the podcast where we've had an artist on talking about um, the passion behind the art and the impact that it has on the lives of people. But how can people reach you? What's the easiest way to reach you? And and I guess, you know, how can people get your artwork if they're interested? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, <clears throat> I, I, let me just say that I so appreciate what you're doing as well. And so it always amazes me what people are doing. Um, on this stage and it's great and um well certainly they can see my work on my website and they'll see links uh on my website to my galleries and some online galleries um that uh are, are selling my work so that, that's a good way mm -hmm. to do it and and also through the galleries that works too and they can reach me through my email which i believe i show on my site but if i don't it's um um Bill, B-I-L-L, -L, at stare, S-T-O-E-H-R, dot U-S. So that, that's my email. And, of course, um, they can find me on Facebook and on Instagram and on uh, LinkedIn and various other places where I – one of the things I try to do is I – sometimes I'll just put up a painting that doesn't – I won't say anything about it. Other times I'll put up a painting and I'll go into a fairly long <laughs> description mm -hmm. of – of part of the process and and so often it's it's the subjective interpretation that someone might be having that and what i'm doing to influence that or what maybe my personal experience is in this area so there, there's a wealth of things there too well i would love to next summer when i'm designing our we're going to do three mini tours next summer in the mm -hmm. rv and i think they're going to be maybe a week i'm sorry 10 days at a time. So we do like four stops in 10 days, four or five stops, mm -hmm. be a lot more intentional this year, a lot more focus on, on, on raising, uh, funds for local charities and things like that. Um, and I know Denver, I'm going back to Denver in that area, the, the Boulder, uh, Denver area. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would be, I'd be honored to be able to partner with you. Um, and, um, you know, have our stop, maybe, uh, 
in conjunction with another organization like a nonprofit where we could right. highlight your work, allow you to speak, talk about talk about what you do and, and just give you some support so people out there around the country can get a really good idea of, you know, what you do, but more importantly, why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh I've been really enlightened today. This has been a very impactful episode for me and I'm going to get on your site and look around at some stuff, but I want to just invite you to partner with me this summer when we're out there driving around in the RV, seven foot paintings. Uh, believe me, believe it. I think they'll fit in my RV. So (laughs) we could haul a couple around the country for you. Sure. And and of course the, the digital stuff is even easier. I saw uh, that too. I, I, we didn't have time to talk about that, but, um, I'll make some notes when we make this post, but well, listen, uh, William really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been yeah. an honor to talk to you. And, uh, like I tell every guest, um, please keep living undeterred. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I look forward to our further cooperation. Yeah, me too. Take care. Take care.